So welcome to the summer of love. I um, only have a few more weeks of being able to say that, the summer of love. On September 20th, by the way, Back to Church Sunday, we will begin a whole new series of messages. It's going to be an um, awesome time. Now, we're not sure exactly yet what it's going to look like. We do know that um, if you're at home watching and wondering if we can stay safe here, then we are encouraging people to wear masks. We are um, sanitizing things and we are social distancing. So um, as long as we're able to continue to do those things, then uh, we're going to get together and, um, and worship together. But we'll also continue to do it online so that you can all uh, join in online there. So um, this week we're going to continue to look at relational holiness. Relational holiness, which is uh, this part of the, uh, the, the, the end, I guess, of the summer of love that has been based all on love. And t- we've been looking at how uh, love influences holiness, how love uh, changes holiness. And I've really got a lot of what I'm talking about off of the book called Relational Holiness. And um, we understand as we read First Peter that God has called us to be holy. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, with minds that are, that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. God has called us to be holy. We've looked at and, and talked about and give the definition for holiness, and today we're going to uh, continue that. We began by asking, where has holiness gone? Our church is a holiness church, and we are part of the Church of the Nazarene, which is a holiness denomination. We have a long history of being a holy people, but why don't we talk about holiness like we used to. It seems like something has maybe changed. And so uh, we began by saying, and I submit to you, that we need to reframe holiness. Maybe speak about it in a different way. Speak about it in a way that contemporary society can better understand what holiness means. Because all of us probably have an idea of what holiness is, but how can we bring that idea forward into today's time. Since everything in our world has to do with relationship, and we as people are often defined by our relationships, we decided that looking at holiness relationally makes sense. So we kind of start off with this presupposition that um, holiness can be defined relationally. If we're called to be holy as God is holy then we live in a relationship with Him. He impacts our lives and allows us or gives us the ability to be holy. Is that making sense? I'm just trying to catch us up. We're not going to spend a long time here. Then we talked about the core and the contributing notions of holiness. And maybe you'll always remember this, how earth, wind, and fire contribute to our understanding of holiness. They are not the core elements themselves, but they help us understand. And and we looked at holiness last week as rules and regulations. They help us understand what holiness is, but they don't really define holiness. And we also looked at holiness as purity. 
again, helps us understand holiness, but it's not the definition of holiness. And finally, we talked about holiness as being set apart, set apart for God's holy work. It makes sense. It helps us understand holiness, but it's not really the core. It contributes to our understanding, but doesn't teach us what that understanding is. If we really want to understand love, and I hope you practice this this week, we need to ponder the nature and activity of God. And I would encourage you, and this is something that I've, I've known to do, and probably all of you have too, but in the last couple of weeks, I've been intentional to ponder, to take a breath, to step back, to think on God, to think on holy things, to think on who He is, on His nature, and on His activity. So the most fundamental claim of God, the thing at the very heart of who God is, is found in these three words. God is love. Remember that? God is love. And, and love is at the center of what being a Christian is all about. And, and we talked about that several times. By the way, as I go through this, there's going to be some rapid-fire scriptures. Find the sermon notes for today's message on the Bible app or on the church's app. You can go to the Lantana Church app and download that and um, get the notes there. So John wrote, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. 1 John 4, 16. Um, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that's the most famous verse, begins that way, right? From Genesis to Revelation, the story of God revolves around love. Mark says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. And finally, we talked last week, Romans 13, 8. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And that's, a, that's an incredible statement all in itself because the 613 rules and regulations and laws that they had. Paul says... If you love another, you have fulfilled the law. Love is at the core. So we've talked about love. We know that love's at the core. We've spent a summer discussing love, but you know, I realize we've not given a definition of love. Maybe in understanding and defining love, we've talked about all the core, I mean, all the contributing ideas and notions. So we understand what love is, but how would we define it? If somebody asked us what was love, how would we define it? It's, it's one of the most overused and very often misunderstood words in human history. Love can be ambiguous. It can be um, spoken of in different ways. So I want to take a little time and explain love better. And there's a lot of ideas about love. I'll just give you a few. Uh, the Roman poet Ovid, he wrote... Love is a kind of warfare. Maybe he's not far off. Adele Prince said, Love is a never-ending feeling. Dion Jackson, Love makes the world go round. You guys remember that one? <laughs> Some of you do. All right, how about Tennessee Williams? Love is just another four-letter word. Remember that one? Sid Vicious said, Love kills. And love means never having to say you're sorry. Anybody remember where that's from? Oh, man. It's that old 70s love story called The Love Story. The movie The Love Story. Y'all remember that? 
Love means never having to say you're sorry. I can remember, remember my mom watching that movie and just boohoo crying. It was the first notebook. <laughs> if you guys want to put it in context, it was the first notebook. All right. You know, for the Christian, love is different, though. For the Christian, love isn't a four-letter word, and it's, it's not a kind of warfare. Lo- love is different. It's, it's different for the Christian. When we're talking about love for God, we mean something different than love for chocolate cake. Who likes chocolate cake? Anybody like chocolate cake? We got some chocolate cake lovers. Yesterday for Caden's birthday, we had strawberry cake. While I love strawberries, I'm not sure it belongs in a cake. The, the chocolate cake, in fact, uh, I don't know if this is telling about me, but devil's food, if you ever want to make me a cake, devil's food cake, and that's where it's at. Chocolate icing. Man, why did he have to bring a cookie? All right, so when we're talking about love, it means something different for the Christians in the world. So I'm going to give you a, a, very, a very succinct definition, then we're going to, to go through it, okay? Here it is. To love is to act intentionally in response to God and others to promote well-being. In fact, I might write that one down. Or if you have the sermon notes on the Bible app, it, it'll save them for you. To love is to act intentionally in response to God and others, oh, it went away on me, <laughs> uh, to promote well-being. That's what love is. That's, that's, that's such a great definition of love. Because think about it. To love is to act intentionally, if, if we're talking about your spouse or your significant other, to, lo- to act intentionally in response to others, to your spouse or significant other, to promote well-being. And the same for God. To act intentionally in response to God to promote well-being. So let's talk, let's break it down a little bit. To love is to act. A little shout out to DC Talk. They wrote a song about it. Love is a verb. Anybody remember that? Okay. Today, guys, (laughs) it's okay to interact, okay? There's not a lot of people in the audience uh, live. So um, you're like the live studio audience. Um, Everybody at home, I'm sure that they uh, are you know, enjoying their time at home, but it's okay if you're here (laughs) to interact. Love is something you do. It's an action. It's a verb. It's, It's intentional. It's deliberate. Listen, sometimes, and this is why I say that, sometimes something good might accidentally happen, like unintended consequence, right? An unintended response. So to say it like this, Uh, sometimes something unintended might produce something good. That's true. But only intentional actions can be said to come out of love. We can't accidentally fall into into love with somebody. When it comes to love, you're not going to accidentally fall in love. Now, you might wake up one day and realize that you fell in love with somebody And you might wake up realizing that you shouldn't have, but you did. But it comes because it was intentional. You spent time together. You talked. You, it's an intentional action. 
All right, so lo- to love is to act. Second is love involves response. Love involves a response. Love is being affected by others. And because we're all involved in relationships, this is where understanding holiness relationally helps. We're all involved in relationship. We all influence and impact each other. Love arises out of the give and take of life. We're able to to intentionally act so that people know we love them. We influence them. We do things for them. They do things for us. It is a response. And we talked about this a few weeks ago about our response to God's love for us. We want to love Him back. We have this desire. We, we want to, um, to grab a hold of Him. And, and remember, we even sang the song, Sit With You A While. Sometimes we just want to sit with God a while. We just want to love on Him, to let Him hold us. God is the most important influence for our love. We're able to love because we respond to, we empathize with God's initiating influence. All right, you understand that? God's initiating influence causes us to respond to Him. John says it like this, we love because He first loved us. Does that make sense? So we respond. And when somebody shows love to you, you respond back to them and vice versa. Third is this, love promotes well-being. Love promotes well-being. How do we define well-being? Happiness might be the best way to describe it, but let's let's dig a little deeper into that. The the idea of well-being and happiness are found in the Hebrew word shalom. You guys all know that word, right? Shalom. We've used it. We've heard it. We've seen it. One of the limitations of English is we have to have a, a descriptor of the word we're talking about. So we're talking about happiness. Well, how do we describe that happiness? Personal happiness, group happiness, social happiness, your happiness, my happiness, right? Just the word happiness doesn't quite get it. So we have to look at the Hebrew word shalom. And in in translating the Bible, when, when they would come across the word shalom, they use it in English as happy or good or blessed. This helps you understand a little bit more about shalom. So when I'm, ta- when I'm saying goodness, I mean the word shalom, but the word shalom in Hebrew really is getting to being happy or being good or being blessed. Okay, right? It's multifaceted. It has more depth than we can say just the, the, the word happiness in English. So to experience God's blessing is to enjoy the well-being that love produces. Are you, are you hanging with me here? This is good stuff, man. This, is, this, this gets into some really deep understanding the depth of love. So, let me say that again. To experience God's blessing is to enjoy the well-being that love produces. So when we feel blessed by God, and we've all felt that, right? 
living in and with God and for God and for his glory. Like there is a place of blessing. When we feel that blessing of God, we are experiencing the well-being, the shalom, the goodness, the happiness that love produces. Okay, so imagine, you understand why it's hard then to speak about happiness without going into this well-being. That's how our psyche responds to being blessed by God. We're, we, we feel that feeling because we're, um, we're enjoying the well-being that love produces. So well, well-being then describes a full-bodied goodness. All right, let's move on. Um, to say that love promotes well-being then is to suggest that love, okay, this is good, so if we're going to say that love promotes well-being, we said that, that suggests that love and therefore holiness promotes wholeness. That's, that's good stuff. Love promotes well-being. That means holiness, defined the core of holiness as love, as we pursue holiness, meaning God's love is in us, we become whole. So many people live their lives chasing wholeness, and they never find it because they're, they're trying to find wholeness through relationship. They're trying to find wholeness through um, drugs or alcohol. They're trying to find wholeness in a friend. They're trying to find wholeness in a uh, boyfriend or a girlfriend. Wholeness is not there. Holiness leads us to wholeness because in holiness, we are living in the full-bodied well-being of God's blessing. Right? Isn't that awesome? To imagine it that way. So this this idea of well-being, like this, imagine this big ball, globe even, of well-being, as we pursue holiness, we're living in the center of that, of God's well, uh, well-being. It's amazing. And instead of chasing all these other things that lead to what we, we hope we might find wholeness in those things, you're not going to. And you can see then why people, as we begin to define holiness as rules and regulations, for instance, we tell people, hey, man, I have found, and we don't know how to describe this, right? That's because all of this lives in that portion of our brain that is hard for us to vocalize. We haven't dug into that, but scientifically, it's called the limbic portion of your brain. Your, your brain has a hard time vocalizing certain emotions and feelings. Remember I said, and, and when you have a feeling in your gut, well, we have this feeling in our gut. God has made us whole. People say, how have you become whole? Well, through holiness, what is holiness? Well, used to say, well, we don't go to movies and we don't wear pants and we don't cut our hair and we don't wear makeup and we don't have tattoos and we don't. But how does that lead to wholeness? Well, it doesn't. You understand? It contributes to our understanding of what holiness is. But that's, that's rules and regulations. The same thing with purity. We would say, 
oh, if you want to find this wholeness that I found, just be pure. Oh, I like being pure. How do I do that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> don't wear a dress if you're a guy or a girl or whatever. Don't wear pants. Don't wear makeup. Don't wear jewelry. Don't wear... Wait a minute. That doesn't... That gets me to wholeness? Well, not really. How do I define it? I don't know. I just know that I have this... So what we're doing here, and I want you to understand that this is one of the basic core principles of helping people understand their path to wholeness through holiness, which comes from a core of love. You can now explain to people how they can find wholeness, fall in love with God. Out of that love comes a desire of holiness which leads us to right living, which leads us to wholeness. Right? Isn't that awesome? How God has put this whole thing together, but it all starts with love. There was a quote out of the book I thought was, was great. The Christian life involves a kind of therapy. As God works in the world to heal the sin, sick, and diseased, and we initiate God's love when we live in ways that bring abundant life to ill and injured in all creation, I don't know if holiness engenders wholeness I'm going to say that again the Christian life involves a kind of therapy which we're all looking for as God works in the world to heal the sin sick and diseased we initiate God's love so God's working in the world right we initiate his love and when we live in ways that bring abundant life to the, the ill and the injured in all creation, we are bringing wholeness through holiness. In other words, if love is a verb, which we just said, it requires us to act. The ill and the brokenhearted and the injured and the social justice and the, we have to act because it's only through our action that we bring wholeness to the broken world. So what does love look like then? L love can, in different ways, be expressed through forgiving, offering words of encouragement, donating time or money, displaying self-control, showing humility, Showing trust and respect, showing compassion, liberating the captive and the oppressed, being kind to each other. You understand? Like it's, it's things to, to do. Uh, the French philosopher La Rouchefoucauld, say that twice, he said there's only one kind of love, but there are a thousand different versions. There's only one kind of love, but there's a thousand different versions. It requires us to do something, to donate your time, to, to give your money, to display self-control, humility, trust and respect, uh, compassion, liberate the captive. And this is especially good for us today, right? To liberate the oppressed. I think that we've got to find our way. Uh, 
we have, as a matter of fact, it's going to be officially launched next Saturday. One of the greatest ministries that I've been a part of, and that is human trafficking. Liberating those who are being trafficked in all different kind of ways. What are we doing to act and show people love? It's not just saying we love. See, and that's what we can say to each other, we love you. But if we define love as promoting another's well-being, then that requires us to act, to do something. We can't just say it anymore. We have to do to promote somebody else's well-being. And listen, there is so much going on in society right now. We have the opportunity now to stand with somebody to promote their well-being, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's uh, one of our African-American brothers or sisters, whether it's the Brazilian church that we're working with, and I've got into this whole world of, of uh, visas and um, immigration that I had no idea. I mean, you hear about it, but to understand there's so much complication there. As we've been doing the... Um, Farmers to families, food. We've talked with people who are looking for help, immigration help. And that's actually something else coming out of the human trafficking. We're working on um, some people, I throw her name out there, Sarisa is one of them, to become certified to help those who are immigrating to this country. Like there's so much that we need to do to promote others' well-being. All right, so I don't want to get too long here. Um, talking about love, there's three, the three most common Greek words in dealing with love are agape, eros, and philia. You guys have probably heard all of those. Agape, eros, and philia. Uh, okay, agape means to promote well-being when responding to actions that cause ill-being. <laughs> That's tough. Promote well-being when responding to actions that cause ill-being. In other words, being nice to, you, to somebody when they're mean to you. Not just being nice to somebody, but when they're being mean to you, being nice back to them. Paul uses agape when he wrote this. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He uses agape there. While we were sinners... While we were bad, Jesus did something good. We're called to express agape also. Jesus has called us to. God responds to sin in loving people, giving them an abundant life. So when we respond in love to those who sin against us, we're acting in ways that promote their well-being. We can act in ways that give others abundant life. It's hard, though. Right? It's hard. People are always willing to and ready to say things to you or cut you off in traffic or badmouth you or post about you on Facebook or but Paul says it this way, Romans twelve fourteen, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We can talk about it all day, but 
every day we have the opportunity to put these things into action. All right, eros. Eros is an interesting word. It is the ancient Greek god of love. So we have to respond. Oh, let me finish this. The ancient Greek god of love, and it's identified with the Roman god Cupid. Isn't that interesting? Eros. So it's, it's the falling in love word, right? It is the word used in Scripture to mean acting to promote well-being by affirm, uh, affirming and enjoying what is valuable. Acting to promote well-being by affirming and enjoying what is valuable. All right, so sometimes God calls us to love things that are valuable and beautiful and desirable. And then the third one is philia. Philadelphia, you guys all know that. This is where it gets its root. Love that promotes well-being by seeking to establish deeper bonds of cooperative friendship. Love that promotes well-being by seeking to establish deeper bonds of cooperative friendship. This is the kind of love that promotes relationship. This is the kind of love that most of us experience. This is why we like fellowship. This is why it's so hard on us right now, because we can't get together, all of us, at the same time. Relationship comes out of this. So are you beginning to understand that, that love is, is such a full-orbed idea? God's love for us is complex and whole and expresses each of these three kinds of love. That's God's love for us. God responds to us at just the right, in just the right way at just the right time. When we sin, He responds by acting in ways that calls us to, whole, to wholeness. When we love, He responds like a, a good parent who enjoys the beauty of seeing his children do what He's called them to do. Isn't it pleasing when you've been working with somebody, discipling somebody, whether it's a child of yours or a friend or you know, somebody that you've been working with and you see them do what you've been telling them, this is what God has called us to do, and then you're, oh man, it makes you feel good. You, you enjoy that. That's, that's love. God is always looking for ways to deepen and engage His relationship and love with us. And one way that we can do that, one way that we, res we respond in love to God is by loving each other. And loving each other in this full-orbed, full-bodied way that God loves us. Agape, eros, philia. But you can break it all down into this simple de definition. Promoting others' well-being. Are we truly promoting the well-being of others? I think it's a great definition because it requires us to act. It requires us to respond. It gets us involved. Man, we're going to close in just a moment and we're going to have communion together. I just wonder if you can begin to see how this idea of love and, and why I am so 
enamored with it, so infatuated with it, because love is so much more than me saying, I love you. Love is deep, and it's awesome, and it's complex. It requires me to act. It requires me to promote your well-being. To, to do things. But it also is what leads us to wholeness through holiness. I just think it's, it's amazing and it's awesome. And so I hope that as you go through your days and as you begin to really think about what God has called you to do and as you come across people in your circle, that they can sense your love for them. That they can know God's love by your love. Anyway, I've, I feel like I'm, I'm, today was supposed to be more teaching and less preaching. I just get so excited about it because I know that this will change our church. This will change our lives and it will change our world and with every single bad thing going on in our world today if we as christians will pick the ball up and say i'm gonna love you like this it changes everything i don't know if i'm going to be able to get to it now but so i'm going to say this and then you can fill in the blanks but one of the things we have to be careful as christians of doing once we understand this kind of love, which we do now, so if you've heard, then you, you are on the hook. We can't say, I love you, but. And I love you, but I disagree with you. I love you, but I don't like what you did. I love you, but. Anytime, and it, that works with everything. If you say, I forgive you, but, then you just completely erased all of the forgiveness you just had. We have to say, I love you. No but. I love you. And I want to act in such a way to promote your well-being. Today as we get ready to uh, take communion, and I'll give those who are watching uh, a moment to get your stuff together. Um, we encourage you at home to use, to take this uh, reverently and you know we use here at the church grape juice and an unleavened bread you can use any kind of bread that you might have and, and, a, and water or grape juice or you know something you have I'm uh, and there are those at the tables too so feel free to grab those but remembering how on the night he was betrayed Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he said this is my body which will be broken for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins won't you take and eat so we remember this morning that Jesus' body was broken for us. So I invite you now to take that bread and to eat. 
we recall as well how in the same way when the meal was over, he took the cup, the cup of blessing, and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my blood, which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you take this, do it in remembrance of me. So I invite you now to take the cup, the cup of blessing, and remember that Jesus' blood was shed just for you. God, this morning, thank you for the reminder of how much Jesus loved us. He laid his life down. His body was broken. His blood was shed. We want to talk about this full-orbed kind of love that you have for us. All we need to do is see Jesus and what he did for us. And his action was the utmost. He gave his all so that we might stand before you forgiven this morning. Thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we reflect on this time of communion, we have a song that we're going to sing together. I just invite you to take this time and reflect on what Jesus has done for us, on the kind of love he had for us, and on the same kind of love that God is calling us to have for others. Make me
letting Jesus fill us, right? With his love. Why don't we pray? God, just thank you for being with us today. Holy Spirit, for communicating to us and in our hearts and souls the love of God. For communicating his word to us. I pray today to borrow a phrase from long ago that you would quicken this idea of love to our hearts at every moment this week. That you would give us opportunities to love somebody in a way that we otherwise would not have. That you would teach us patience with each other so that we can intentionally promote others' well-being. That as Christians, we might call other Christians to action, to feed the hungry, to clothe those who need clothed, to stand with persecuted brothers and sisters, Whatever you have called us to do, God, would you just put in our hearts that call to action to really show love. And let us start here, that we can love each other fully and completely. We love you this morning, God. Continue to be with us, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.